would you join with me in prayer? Well, Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have gathered us here to celebrate your resurrection or uh, the resurrection of your son. Um, And Lord, we pray that as your word is now proclaimed, as it is heralded in its native language, that is announced, heralded, preached, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And Lord, if there be any among us who are still dead in sin, we pray that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ would bring the dead to life. And we pray that you would awake some of us from our stupor. And would you give us real hope, ripping our eyes off of those things which are, we would prefer to cling to and putting them on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to two places. Uh, Luke uh, read from us uh, the resurrection account in Luke 24. Who better to do that than Luke? Luke 24. And we're also going to be um, reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 um, and Luke 24. And as you're doing that, I want to ask a question of us. Do we celebrate Easter? Do we celebrate on Easter that though Jesus was hanged on a cross and died, and that his body was put into grave, is it our celebration that his soul went to heaven? Is that what we celebrate? Is that how we comfort ourselves at Christian funerals? That though this dear Christian's body is being placed in the grave, his soul is now with the Lord. And really, it's better to be apart from that icky old body anyways. Is that what we celebrate at Easter and at Christian funerals? Dear brothers and sisters, dear believing guests and unbelieving guests, that is not the Christian hope. That is not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is much sweeter than that and is much more real, it's much more human, and it's much more earthy than that. The first point that we can get from Luke 24 is this, that Christ rose from the dead in every way. It wasn't just merely a resurrection of his soul, that body's in the grave, but oh, he conquered death by his soul being up with the Lord God, his Father in heaven. It was his body being raised from the dead that we celebrate on Easter. We see this in the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24. We see that the stone has, has been rolled away from the tomb. Now, dear friends, if it, we only celebrate on Easter that his soul went to be to, with the Lord in heaven, what would it matter that the stone is rolled away from the tomb? A soul can go through the stone. The stone was rolled away. His body was removed from the tomb. He was raised from the dead. When the women went into the tomb, they were perplexed. What were they perplexed at? Were they perplexed? Wait, where's his soul? No. They were perplexed because they couldn't find his body. His body was no longer in the tomb. And then we have this wonderful passage where we have two disciples, not among the twelve Remember, Jesus had much more than 12 disciples. He had many more people who believed in him and who followed him. 
The apostles were those disciples that we get the scriptures from that wrote the Bible. But he had many other disciples other than, than them, including those women. But two of these disciples are, are walking, and they're very sad. They're very sad on Easter Sunday. And they're walking together, and they're discussing these things that had happened. There was this man, the Lord Jesus, who they were confident was the Messiah. But to kill their hopes, he had been killed. He had been hung on a cross. Maybe they thought that he would use his power to prevent himself from dying. That's how he would conquer. Or maybe he would use his power to get himself off of that cross. And yet he did not do those things. He was really killed. He really died. He really was buried. And this crushed them. And then they're joined by another man who asks them some questions. And of course, now knowing the story of who this is, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus asking, what are you talking about? What what do you mean what we're talking about? These things that happened. What things that happened? And they looked at him as if he was the, the foolish one, the only foolish one in Jerusalem who didn't know these things. Everybody knows these things. What are you, what are you doing? And he's, he's walking with them. He's not floating with them. He's walking with them. And they tell them the report. What are they so perplexed about? The women could not find the body. And when was it that Jesus, that they noticed that it was actually Jesus? They didn't notice, well, he must not be a human because he's floating and he's not walking. No, he's walking with them as a human. When was it that the Lord Jesus opened their eyes so that they could see the truth? It was when he broke bread. He used his physical human hands to to break a physical piece of bread in two. And then the lights went on. This was how he was to save them to have a real body that was really broken, to really save them from their sins, and then that real body to be really raised from the dead. This, of course, is what the Scriptures had always taught about the Messiah, that he would really be a real man, and he would really die, and he would really be raised from the dead, and then to enter in his glory. And not just to enter into his glory with his soul, but to enter into his glory with a body. And now we move to the next scene, verse 36, the next scene in Luke 24. He meets with the disciples. Now we're talking about the 12 particularly, now although all of them are not there. He meets with them and they are startled. Why are they startled? Is it because a soul has come to them? That they feel good about Jesus' death now? that their minds have been changed about his death? Why are they startled? They are startled because there is a man who was dead just a couple of days ago, and he's there with a real body. He's not in the grave. And they're having some doubts about this. Maybe this is just a vision. Maybe we're just imagining things. And how does Jesus deal with their doubts? Does he say, don't you dare doubt? Shame on you for doubting. Don't you doubt. Stand away from me. I want you to trust that I have risen from the dead. This is not an illusion. Do you do that? What does he invite them to do? Touch me. Then he says, do you have anything to eat? Yes, they have something to eat. They have some fish for him to eat. And so he takes the fish, and what does he do with the fish? He eats the fish. And as he eats it, 
the fish disappears into his mouth and into his esophagus and into his stomach. It's gone. Can a soul eat fish? He's proving to them over and over and over again. And then he goes again to the Scriptures. The Messiah was always going to be a real man. Yes, God. But God becoming a real man with a real human soul and a real human body. And in that body, he would suffer. And in that body, he would die. And on the third day, not only his soul would rise, but his body would as well. And what does he say to them? Why is this important? So that the forgiveness of sins can be proclaimed to all nations. If there was no resurrection of Jesus' body, then there's no forgiveness of sins. Then it is just a terribly sad story. And it is most sad for those fools who believed it. Because he said with his body and soul that he bore our sins. And that while on the cross, he took our punishment. But dear friends, if he did not rise from the dead in his body then he was not taking our punishment. Whose punishment was he taking? His own. For being a fraudulent, lying fool of a Messiah. And that's why we say that he was raised for our justification. And then we end Luke's account in 50 to 52. Christ is with these disciples and he rises into heaven. How, dear friends, how is it that they knew that Jesus was, no, was actually now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. How is it that they know that Jesus is no longer on earth, but now he is in heaven? How do they know that? They saw it. Can you see a soul going into heaven? Can you see a spirit going into heaven? No. What is amazing about the ascension of the Lord Jesus, which happened 40 days after Easter, what is amazing about the ascension of Jesus into heaven is that it's a body going into heaven. They saw a body going into heaven. They saw Jesus who they had known for three years and who they saw being crucified. And they saw him being put in the grave. And then three days later, they saw him risen from the dead in a human body. They, they touched him just to make sure. They fed him fish. They ate with him. And then they saw this body rise, not from the dead at that point, because he was already risen from the dead, rise and ascend into heaven, which they saw with their own eyes. Dear friends, Christ Jesus is in heaven right now with his soul, with his human soul, and with his human body. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul is going to riff on this for a while to make sure we do not miss the beauty and significance of this. Our first point, you remember, is that Christ rose from the dead in every way. Our second point, which we're going to rob from the Apostle Paul, is that Christians will rise from the dead in every way. We'll get that from the first, 15, uh, first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul speaking, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which, you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which 
You are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then, the 12, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Did you notice what the, the Apostle Paul says is of first importance? The death of Christ for sins, according to the Scriptures. God had been saying this for thousands of years. And the resurrection of Christ, according to the Scriptures, God had been saying this for thousands of years. Paul is saying these two things are of first importance. The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, the real and actual death of Christ, the real and actual resurrection of Christ are of first importance. Paul is not going to let Christianity be treated as a moral lesson. This is not one of Grimm's fairy tales. It's not merely a moral lesson. It's not an inspiring teaching that helps us deal with death. It's not merely about having better feelings and a better perspective. No. The most important part of Christianity is the death of a man and the resurrection of, from the dead of that very same man, a real body, a real man with a real body and a real soul who really died. A death that was real and physical, like our own deaths, which could be witnessed, and it was witnessed. A man who was really risen from the dead in his body, not just his soul, but notice it was for sinners. It wasn't just a lesson. It wasn't merely a personal victory. Wow, good for him. But it was, a, it was to accomplish something for what kind of people? Bad people. This was to accomplish something for bad people. Christ died for bad people. And he rose from the dead for bad people. Yes, bad. But beloved. He loved them. And so he took on a human body and a human soul to die for their sins and rise from the dead. And so what happened to this man's body and soul, that is the Christian gospel. That is what the Christian gospel is fixed upon. And it is also guaranteed by. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 34. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that is died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, and then he, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, to God the Father, after destroying everything, every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he's accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are the people baptized in their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Thus, thus far the word of God. And so we see here that Christians will rise from the dead in every way. The Christian hope is not merely for, our, for this life. It's not merely to help us live better lives. It's not. Because if we look at the Gospels, and, the, and our hope is that by reading the Gospels, we see a man living a good life, and therefore we will live a good life. You know what it also does for us? It condemns us all the more. Because as we see Christ live a perfect life, it shows us even more what a perfect life is and we compare ourselves to it. Well, that's not going to work because we see that we're even more condemned. If our bodies are not going to be raised, that means that Jesus' body was not raised from the dead. Did you see Paul's argument there? Christ is the first fruits and we are the rest of the harvest. What happens to the first fruits is going to tell you the rest of the harvest. If ever you do not know what kind of a tree is on your yard, if you buy a new house, or if you buy an old house and there's a, there's a tree sitting there, you have no idea what kind of fruit is gonna be on that tree, what do you do? You wait for the first fruit. Oh, the first one's an apple. What are you gonna expect about the rest of them? Pears, pomegranates, kiwis, apples for goodness sake. 
And if we are not, if our bodies are not going to be raised from the dead, then guess what we know about Jesus? He wasn't either. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, now we're in trouble. Not simply because there's no resurrection from the dead and we just go on as spirits. But if Jesus wasn't uh, resurrected from the dead, then what else do we know? He never paid for our sins. That means we face eternity as guilty enemies of God with our sins unpunished. We are to be most pitied. Not simply because we thought there was eternal life and there's not. No, that's not Paul's argument. His argument is, we thought our sins were forgiven and they weren't. And then we see this makes a little bit more sense of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Because if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, that doesn't simply mean, and if we're not raised from that, doesn't simply mean we go on as spirits. It means, no, we get our bodies back, but we go to hell with them. But, Paul doesn't let us get too far without saying, but, <laughs> indeed, Christ has been raised. And it was proven by many eyewitnesses. It was promised by the scriptures and it was fulfilled. Did you notice Paul's other argument here? He says, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is supposed to reign. If you read the Old Testament that talks about the Messiah, what you know about this man is that he is a conquering Messiah. He is supposed to destroy all of the enemies of God. He's supposed to put all the enemies of God underneath his own feet, every single one of them. But if Christians... Bodies stay in the grave. He has failed to defeat the last enemy. And what's the last enemy? Death. And oh, how silly to think about Christ not finishing the mission his father gave to him. Can you imagine Jesus saying no? No, I I will do part of that, Father. I will only do part of what you asked me. His job is to defeat and destroy and subdue and to embarrass every single one of God's enemies, including death. Including death. You know death is an enemy. As much as Hollywood wants to make it look better for us, oh, it's not that bad. It's kind of nice. It's kind of peaceful. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's good. Death is fine. Don't worry. It's just part of, life, part of the circle of life. Death is fine. You know death is an enemy if you've faced it. You know death is an enemy if you've lost a loved one. You know death is an enemy if you've ever been scared for your life. You're not a fool for hating death. The Christian gospel is not one where we say, death is great. Our minds have been changed about death. You know, we used to think it was bad. Turns out it was good. We were wrong. That's not true. We're supposed to hate death. We're supposed to see death as an enemy. And if Christ did not defeat death for us and our bodies stay in the grave, he is a failure, he is incompetent, he is a terrible savior, and he's a worse king. He must reign, says Paul, until he has subjected all enemies, death included death of the soul and death of the body 
Paul's last argument might be a little confusing to us because we don't really know what was going on in Corinth at that time. There's lots of theories. He's talking about dead, death and baptism, dead people and baptism. We're not really sure what, what's going on, but we can see his point really clearly, even if we don't know his like, sub-point. The point that he concludes with is pretty easy to see. The point is this. What good are the promises of baptism for people who are already dead or who are about to die on their deathbed or who are people who are fearing for their death every day, as Paul was? Paul, as a preacher of the gospel in the Roman Empire and in the, in the, the Jewish land, he was, at, he was facing death every single day. Every single day could have been his last day. There was a bounty on that man's head. What good are the promises of, of baptism? Don't worry, you belong to me, says Christ with baptism. You're like, for how long? How what good is that? I, I've got lots of friends who are dead. What good was it for them? What good is it for me? Why bother? Why bother with baptism and the promises that God makes? Now, just to be clear, God doesn't save you through baptism. He saves you by faith in the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection. And baptism is a gift that he says, you make sure you give to every Christian because it is a way I promise these things visually for them. He says, what good are the baptism promises if that body is staying in the grave? We baptize not that soul, we baptize that body for goodness sake. Why would we think that that body is being kept in the grave? And he says, much in every way is there a benefit to those promises. Because if Christ's body came out of the grave, so too is that Christian's body coming out of the grave, baptized or not. First, the first fruits, and then the rest. And so we can say as we lay a dear Christian body in the grave, we can have confidence that it will one day come out of the grave. Not simply that his soul is in heaven, but that that body will be raised from the dead. And then we know this Christian's life on earth was not his last life on earth. It wasn't wasted when he chose to honor God rather than to maybe get more pleasure or to honor God rather than sin in order to avoid some suffering. That Christian will get his or her body back. This was not that Christian's only physical life on earth. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians and we'll, uh, for 15, and we'll look at verse 35 to 49. And here we're going to see that it is the same body but different. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection 
of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as, it, as, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Thus far God's word. So he says bodies are like seeds. Bodies, they, they die and they're, they're buried and then they come to new life. And they don't become something completely different. We know what we can expect. If you have an apple seed and you put it in the ground and you cover it up and you're not terrible at gardening, what kind of plant can you expect to grow? An apple tree. You're not expecting another apple seed, but you're expecting an apple tree. You're not expecting a pear tree. And so Paul is, is arguing with these people, essentially saying, we do not become angels when we die. We don't become angels when we rise from the dead. We don't just become souls or spirits. We don't become stars or rainbows or unicorns. We're the same kind of creation that we were when we were sown into the ground body and soul because we were created to glorify God and enjoy him with bodies and souls but also we see that just like those who come from Adam every single human are like Adam how are we like Adam we die but he says now everybody who is in the new Adam and Christ is the new Adam we're just like him and what does that mean we're going to be raised from the dead with bodies. Everyone now who comes from Jesus, and that is everyone who repents of sin and trusts in the gospel of his death and resurrection to reconcile sinners to God. Just like everybody who comes from Adam, the man of dust, and their bodies are buried and they turn to dust. All who are in Christ will be raised in every single way that he was, body and soul. And to deny that and to ignore that is to deny that it ever happened to Jesus. Paul doesn't stop there. Our third point is this. First point was that Christ was raised from the dead in every way. Second point is that Christians are going to be raised from the dead in every way. And the third point is that the inheritance of Christ and his bride is a redeemed heaven and earth. Let's see this in verse 50 to 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 57. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, and, uh, raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the 
imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus far God's word. And we hear, we've already seen the Lord Jesus came to redeem a people. Not just to replace a physical people with a spiritual one that don't have bodies. Oh, good riddance, those bad physical people. Well, let's, just, let's just replace them. Just do, do away with that. It was a failed, failed experience. No, no, no. He redeems a people, not replaces it. And, and the Bible will call that his church. It'll call that his bride. But I wonder if you also noticed he came to redeem creation. And you see this in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit. Inherit what? The kingdom of God. He also came to redeem creation as an inheritance for himself to share with his bride, the church, all those who trust in him. They count as his one bride together. And he has died not just to redeem us, but he came, he died to redeem all of creation as an inheritance, as a place for us to enjoy him and him to enjoy us. Oh, we see this in Romans 8 pretty clearly. Turn with me to Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18 to 25. For I consider, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation, notice that, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Thus far God's word. I hope you notice that all of creation will be redeemed. All of creation right now is under a curse. Because Adam, humanity, was the crown and head of all creation. And therefore, when we fell into sin, the curse didn't just fall on us. It also fell on all of creation as we represented it. And so all of creation will be redeemed. Death will not just be removed from Christians' bodies, but from all of creation. Death will be removed from the earth, from the land. The trees of the field will rejoice and clap their hands. The lakes and the rivers and the birds and the lambs and the lions. Music, musical instruments, work, hobbies, gardening, Food is going to be redeemed. Science and exploring. 
the kingdom of God, the redemption of the whole world, where Jesus, like a very good king, rids his entire kingdom of every trace of enemy behavior, which is sin and the curse of sin. He has come to redeem all of creation. A world with the curse of the first Adam reversed. Or Christ will have failed at his kingly task. And how did Christ reverse that curse? Did he wave a magic wand and saying, curse be no more? Did God change his mind and saying, you know what, I used to hate sin, but I've changed my mind. Did he say, like a corrupt judge, when he sees guilty people in his courtroom that he knows and that are family members of his, he say, well, I know they're guilty, but because we have a personal relationship, I'm not going to punish you for your crimes. No, how did, Christ take, how did Christ remove the curse? Oh, he bore that curse in his body on the tree. He is the only one able to remove the curse. He was the only one able to bear that curse. That's what he was doing on the cross. Bearing the sins of sinful man to redeem us not just our souls, but to redeem our bodies and to redeem all of creation for us to glorify and enjoy Him forever. A place prepared for Him and His bride. It's one thing for a man to betroth himself to a woman and to say, we will live together forever. Yes, but where will we live together forever? Oh, we will enjoy each other forever. Yes, but where will we enjoy each other forever? And the answer is the kingdom of God, the world that Christ has died to redeem. And so our hope is not that we escape the world, our bodies, and then go to heaven. We're not looking forward to a annihilation of the world and just good riddance to it. No, a renewal of the physical world, which we will inherit with physical bodies. With Christ, who will also inherit it with a physical body. And yes, our bodies will be new, but not replacements. It's not simply that that body's in the grave. Don't worry, I'll give you another one. No, that body's coming out of the grave and I will renew it. I will redeem it. I will restore it. Bodies raised from the dead. We get a bit of a hint of what Paul is speaking about here and why he's saying this. This affects how we view holiness. This affects how we view sin. Souls are not better than bodies. The Bible is very clear. Souls are not better than bodies. Both are very good. Both fell into sin and both need to be redeemed. And both are to be redeemed. Christ has already paid for it with his blood. For those who belong to Christ. So these things that we enjoy now. Food. Rest. Health. Music. Companionship. Good food and drink. These are not opposed to the enjoyment of God. And they are not unspiritual. 
we can now use them to glorify and enjoy God. And for the most part, with few exceptions, we will enjoy the same things after the resurrection. And then, when we're raised from the dead with physical bodies, with voice boxes, with lungs, with lips and tongues, with mouths, we can sing. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But how does that then change our lives now? Let's look at this in verse 56 and 58. Paul's going to tell us. And the point we're going to get from this is, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 58. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Thus far, God's word. And Paul tells us, death happens because of sin. The only reason there's death in this world is because of sin. And it's sin not against the laws of the universe. It's the sin against God's law. And if there was no sin against God's law, there would be no death. Which means that Christ had to face death in our place and he had to die for our sins. And once he died for our sins against God's law, death no longer has any power. Because sin has been paid for. Christ satisfied the law's demands with his perfect life. So the law can't ever say, nobody's ever kept me. Christ has. And he's also satisfied God's demand for justice, for the breaking of the law. So, death, or so the law can't say, you know, people, people uh, broke me and uh, their, their sin hasn't been punished yet. Because it has in Christ. And so if Christ was not raised we would know that the law has not yet been fulfilled and that all our guilt has not yet been paid for. The law would be a very successful prosecuting attorney. But he was raised from the dead. Dear friends, if this is your only physical life, if this is our only human life, it will tempt us greatly to sin. It will tempt us greatly to sin. We will be tempted to gain more physical pleasure or to avoid physical suffering if this is our only chance to live a physical life, to enjoy these physical things, to enjoy homes, to enjoy grass and trees and food and drink. If it's our only shot, we'll be tempted to sin in order to have that enjoyment. And so, dear young people, this is for you to remember. This is not your only human physical life on this earth. And so that means you can resist temptation. Not because, oh, it's fine, you know, it's worth it, because it's not that bad, because, you know, physical things aren't good anyways. No but because the Lord God will raise you from the dead with a physical body and put you back on this physical world. 
and you have that eternally to look forward to pleasures untold, to enjoy God and honor Him. Working people. Right now, what's on a lot of our minds is the cultural revolution. And I know a lot of you are worried, even if you don't say it, that it will cost you your careers, that you sacrifice years of energy, time, and training to build. And you will be tempted to give in, to deny Christ, if you only think that this is your last chance on earth with a body to enjoy these things. But it's not. Christ has defeated death. He has promised the Father that He would create a new heavens and earth where there is no sin, where there is no temptation, where there is no enemies, where there is no revolution of sin coming. You look forward to that, and that will sustain you to withstand temptation in this life. Moms, social media tempts you to not serve your kids. It tells you, look, loving your kids, that's good. Absolutely, we're not telling you you shouldn't love your kids. But don't forget, don't forget, you only got one life, you should love yourself too. Make sure you don't deny yourself in order to love your kids. You gotta be fulfilled. Look at all these opportunities that you could have that you are saying no to. Oh, what a fool you would be to obey that wicked and foolish argument. Dear friends, you will be raised from the dead with a new body. This is not your only life. And the Lord will not make you regret using it for His glory. Even if it means you say no to some pleasures. This is also true for the way we serve our neighbors in our neighborhood. You know, I might have to give up some of my recreation time in order to care for these people and to love them physically. Your labor is not in vain. And how about the middle-aged people here who have, who have ailing parents who need them very desperately and who really forfeit a lot of the time, a lot of their retirement that they could be using to spend selfishly on themselves and all the worldly physical pleasures, but instead are caring every day for their ailing old parents who can't even remember their names. You're not a fool. This is not your only life. Not merely that God will give you heaven. Dear friends, he's giving you earth again. And you won't have to care for aging parents because they're going to have renewed bodies as well. And we will enjoy what Christ purchased for us with his blood. Our good works that we do, do not save us. You're a fool if you think your works save you. Our good works are very physical though, aren't they? We don't just do spiritual works in our thoughts, washing the body of a dying father. Working a job to serve your boss and provide for your family. Serving a family, changing diapers, washing clothes, making meals, very physical, but not unspiritual. God cares about these things. He came to redeem you so that you can live as a redeemed person even now to do these physical redeemed actions. And in the next life, Christ will make sure we do not regret serving him in this life. He will make sure 
that it will help us to glorify and enjoy him in our bodies in the next life. And we also might be tempted to just let this world go to hell in a handbasket. Who cares? It's going to burn anyways. But we must remember that God loved the world. And so what you do to serve the world, to exercise dominion, to, use it, to be stewards of God's creation, that not, God's not going to see that as useless and as vanity. It is pleasing to him. It is true that this world is passing away in its present form. But it will be renewed. Dear friends, we were created to imitate God in body and in soul, to enjoy him in body and in soul. And so the rule of thumb would be three things. Whatever activity is not sinful, we are able to enjoy in heaven, in the new heavens and earth, in the resurrected earth. So we won't, if you enjoy murder, I'm sorry, you won't be able to enjoy murder there, okay? Whatever, second one, whatever does not need sin to be present for, you won't enjoy there. There. So you might be somebody who enjoys loving and serving people by being a soldier. And that's great to enjoy God that way. It's an honorable thing. It imitates his character. But you will not enjoy that in the next life, in the new heavens, in the new earth. You might enjoy being a doctor or a police officer. And that's wonderful, but you will not enjoy God in those ways in the new heaven and earth. And the third thing, those things which God tells us will not be there. So marriage is not going to be there, and sex will not be there. But apart from these three things, the rule of thumb is to assume that we will be able to enjoy and glorify God in these ways. It's part of the inheritance that he won for his bride. It's not simply that we will now enjoy scuba diving or, and we will enjoy scuba diving there. No, we will use scuba diving to enjoy God. Just like the place of the honeymoon is a place for the bride and groom to enjoy each other. But this also helps us to be thankful now and to use the physical things that God has given, not as something like sometimes we enjoy God and sometimes we enjoy physical things. No, it helps us to enjoy, to put this in perspective. Physical isn't sinful. It is a gift from God that we can enjoy. And so we can enjoy, we can thank God for these gifts that he's given, these physical gifts. And we can thank him and praise him Rather than the only way to use physical things is to sin. No. We also use them to glorify God. And in Christ, all of our labor is not in vain. All of our labor is not in vain. Because though this world is passing away, it will be remade. Though our bodies are passing away, they will be remade. Let's look at just a picture of the reward that belongs to Christ and his bride. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with 
with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making some things new. No. Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now he ends by talking about what will be the lot for those who are not part of that kingdom. What will happen for those who do not turn from their rebellion and trust in Christ to reconcile them? We also see, though, that Christ, these are the things that Christ suffered for us to be part of that kingdom. Because you probably saw your own name in that list of people who will be thrown to hell, didn't you? Any people who are sexually immoral, faithless, any, any murderers here, anybody who's hated their brother, any idolaters, anybody who's loved things more than God, anybody who's lied? That's all of us, isn't it? And so we see that whatever we would suffer in body and soul, in hell, Christ suffered for that on the cross instead of us because of his great love. And your friend, if you're visiting us and your faith is not in Christ, that is what you will receive. But he begins with what will be the lot for those who are in the kingdom of God, a new heaven and earth. It is prepared by Christ. It was suffered for by Christ. To fulfill his mandate from his Father, which is to destroy all the enemies, including death, and to be enjoyed with his own body, which is his bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, rejoice. You will be raised from the dead, and your labor in him is not in vain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that it is not just for this life that we have a futile and foolish hope. We thank you that you have not just come to redeem souls, but also our bodies. And we pray, Lord, with that new or renewed vision of what eternity will be, Lord, that we will be able to endure with joy suffering for you that we will be able to set aside some pleasures if it would mean that we don't glorify you. We would be able to willing to set aside those pleasures, not because physical pleasures are bad, but because greater ones await us who belong to you and who are redeemed by your blood. Father, we did see all of our own names in that list. And we are grateful that rather than leaving us in our sin and in our death and in our misery, Christ came to die our death and to be raised from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes on him. Grant repentance to those who have not done so. Grant faith. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us 
to live with joy in this world, using the things that you have made to enjoy, imitate, and glorify you. I pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.